0: Data. It's big, and it's here, and we all know that it's time to use it. Ah, but the questions. How to use it, and to what end, and how can artificial intelligence and new technologies get the most out of it, especially when data may sit in those proverbial silos? To find out, we'll talk with Clark Ritchie, Chief Technology Officer at FactGem. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, the Managing Editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Fantastic to have you here with us. And here at our studios in Chicago, we have Clark Ritchie. Clark is the chief technology officer at FactGem, which is based in Columbus, Ohio. Clark has more than 20 years experience designing and developing software, primarily for the defense and intelligence sectors. He's also taught in the master's program at Loyola University and undergraduate program at UMBC. Clark has investigated non-traditional methods and technologies that use data more efficiently for more than 10 years. And Clark, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. If you are working in conjunction with a company, how would you set the stage for making sure that they are using data efficiently? One of the things we try to really focus
1: on is getting companies to re-examine the way they think about their data in a lot of organizations, IT has essentially trained the business to think about their data in technology terms. And there were really, really good reasons for doing that for 50 years or so. However, that's created this disconnect where business leaders have a certain understanding of their data and the way that that business runs with that data and that no longer matches the way data is actually being stored. That disconnect makes it very difficult to get answers, to understand why certain actions are being taken, and to look at leading indicators. So the first thing we do is level the playing field and bring the actual representation of the data inside the technology together with the business's understanding. So there's no more cognitive gap there anymore. Both the business can work more efficiently and IT can work more efficiently because ultimately, IT wants to empower the business to do things as efficiently and quickly as possible, and
0: this enables that. That's a fantastic answer. There's also that question of fraud indicators. What are signs that can be identified by actual relationships between entities? We've seen some really
1: interesting things. When I talk to fraud experts, whether that's in finance, government spaces, We've discovered these people have tremendous industry knowledge, tremendous domain-specific knowledge on what to look for. However, when they come to work, they're taught to look for answers, for patterns, relationships based upon the way the information is presented. Uh, We did a large proof of concept recently for a major credit card company. And they wanted to look at indicators for credit card application fraud. So we loaded up a whole bunch of their data for them, consumer credit bureau information, credit card application data, transaction data for existing accounts, and so forth. And we played around with it a little bit as non-experts. And one of the things I said was, you know, it seems to me we should look at the relationship between people and their phone numbers. Uh, Again, coming out of the government, this is a space I've dealt with a lot, Something you very often see is that people go out to you know Walmart or any local shopping center, and they get burner phones. And so if you're going to create a fraudulent identity for purposes of getting a fake credit card or a fake loan or whatever that transaction might be, you'll put some tape on the phone to indicate what the name is and so forth. You lay it on the desk, and you might have six or seven or hundreds of these, depending on how large your organization is, for your fraudulent activity. If you then look at that data you can look at the relationships, what is normal, what's not. So for example, if you look at my activity, myself, my wife, you know, we see that Clark has a certain phone number, that phone number is connected to this credit card application. It's probably connected to two or three existing credit card applications. It's probably connected to my wife who shares the same home phone number as me. That's a very typical pattern. Most people have a variation on that pattern. When you look at a fraudulent application, what we saw is almost without fail, you had one phone number Associate with that application, and nothing else ever. But again, this is what we hit. We hit the fact that when they stopped and thought about it, they said, oh my gosh, of course it makes perfect sense we knew that, but we could never look at that information because things were kept separated and we couldn't bring it together. These transactions, they're all happening in context, and the context is often just the regular
0: relationships and connections that make up our daily lives. You mentioned earlier getting information out of the IT silo, to unite that with business concerns, make the most of the data that's out there. How can we connect information together to solve problems within businesses?
1: I want to be really clear, especially to all the IT people who are listening. I'm certainly not advocating that people should go in and tear down their silos. There may be some long-term vision where that is a good thing to do, but for the most part, if you look at those silos now, they exist for good purposes, regulatory, compliance, point of sale, and so on, and they're serving those purposes well. The challenge comes when you try to take that larger, holistic view of all the information available to the organization and put those together. That's where things have traditionally been very hard, and we have to start looking to new technologies. From a technical perspective, that's where Factum has always been interested in from the outset technologies that enable us to look at how data can come together and actually materialize, actually have those relationships be present as real things in the data. Because as LinkedIn showed us, the relationships between people or business entities are at least as important as the people themselves and the information about
0: them. Now, there's the data we can see. There is the data we can't see, referring, of course, to invisible data, Share a little bit with us about the concept of invisible data and the impact this is going to have on detecting fraud and doing other really useful things for the financial services industry.
1: Yeah, invisible data is huge. It's a major problem for small companies, large companies, and the government, even. Invisible data refers to this phenomenon within organizations where one is people share information in normal ways, they send emails. They create Excel spreadsheets. They use personal access databases. They have PDF documents. And this information is important to how we run our business. That data, though, typically isn't tracked. It's invisible to the decision-making systems present in most organizations. The other side of that is the information that's just resident people's heads. In many organizations that have multiple complex systems, There's a process we often refer to as ETL or extract, transform, and load that is used to move data between systems to try to answer some of these questions. The logic behind why certain transformations and things are done or why data is moved only resides in the head of the person who's done that. We refer to as institutional or organizational knowledge. And then when people leave, that information is gone because it's never been captured anywhere else. The inability of organizations to leverage all of this invisible data can really be a very significant detriment to how quickly they can respond in a rapidly evolving business world, especially when dealing with the really big online tech giants, Amazon and Walmart, that are moving into all aspects of
0: consumer goods and services. Maybe you can give us an example of how invisible data might work in a typical workplace where someone leaves and then what the solution is to that would be to make sure that that institutional memory gets back to where it belongs. Certainly. You've got systems that people
1: typically don't think about because they just work. You maybe make a phone call or you get an email from Sally in a certain department and you get the answer you need for today's board meeting. And no one really thinks about or has to worry about how Sally's getting that information, what systems is she using, because she just takes care of it. Sally's been there for 20 years. Sally's got an access database that just lives on her laptop. And she's got six or seven or maybe even 10 spreadsheets she's using to power that. And then one day she retires. And no one has been trained in that because no one's asked. In the worst case scenario, now that information is essentially dead to the company. I've literally seen this at very large banks where they've had to remove contractors for various reasons and then have to hire completely new contracting agencies at far higher rates to go back and say, I need to find the data that this other contractor had. We know it's in the data
0: lake, but we don't know where anymore, and we now can't do these business operations. Unbelievable. Obviously, it seems like you can be proactive about these things, make sure that the data doesn't exist on Sally's laptop and nowhere else, but get it into other parts of the organization so that when she retires or somebody leaves or something happens, it's still there and there's an efficiency that saves time. That saves money and things run smoother. Absolutely. It was really hard to take this data
1: Sally May had in Excel and in Access and integrate that into the corporate enterprise data warehouse. would have cost a lot of time and a lot of engineering dollars. If we can remove that barrier and make it easy for Sally to still do what she needs to do in Excel and have it automatically become part of that connected fabric now, we've not only enabled better decision-making, but we've removed that source of invisible data by making it visible.
0: And finally, if someone bumped into you and said, Clark, I'm fascinated by this notion of using data effectively. I don't know where to begin. Help me. The most important
1: thing is we have to abandon a lot of our preconceptions. We're taught going into college and coming out of it, certainly if you enter the workplace, that this is the way data is. And that just doesn't have to be true anymore. When people tell us, no, we have to have these four systems and they have to be stovepiped or isolated or any of the terms people use to describe reasons why they're not bringing it together, we've got to question that a little bit because the technology has evolved. It's not magic. It takes work. But like graph database systems are really enabling that to happen now. And we've just got to take that extra step, I think, and kind of push beyond that initial barrier of resistance. Companies
0: are doing it. How can we do it? You took the extra step today, and the data is in. You did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for being on the podcast today and coming to our offices in Chicago from Columbus. I appreciate it. It's been great coming out here. Clark Ritchie is the chief technology officer at FactGem. You can look for Clark on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one. It's a super exciting time with data thanks to smart networks, AI, and machine learning, all of it making access to data advantageous like never before. So here's the focus. Re-examine how you think about data. Beyond IT, business leaders need to bridge disconnects and get to the point where cognitive gaps between business goals and IT disappear. Number 2. Criminal activity often manifests itself through prepaid cell phones burner phones, as they're also known, to get at where the money resides. But without fail, data will often give this away. The key is to look for patterns and understand the applications of those patterns and the information that appears on a typical financial transaction happen in context. And number three. Invisible data refers to the data that isn't tracked or that resides in people's heads. It's also known as institutional or organizational knowledge. If a person leaves a workplace, what they know about how to run a line of business could disappear, especially if it exists on that person's laptop and nowhere else. So take the time to inventory and duplicate information that's key to running your business that may be tucked away in the hands of a long-time employee. Streamline your user experience and accelerate the online application process. In today's business landscape, consumers expect their digital transactions to be quick and convenient. Experian Instant Form Fill reduces the amount of manual entry by up to 76%, providing consumers with a frictionless and secure way to fill out applications. Visit edq.com to learn more. And now BAI Banking Strategies brings you the aha moment where our podcast guest shines a light on that point in time where realization, revelation, or exploration made all the difference in their financial services career. New opportunities often present themselves in the form of pay raises, but so much the better when that raises the bar of an eager learner. Here, Clark Ritchie recalls how he moved up the ladder In the world of high tech to a point where he never looked back, listen.
1: It started out about 10 years into my career when I was a senior architect and developer at a really great company and I enjoyed my work and was very successful there. And I got a call out of the blue from a recruiter offering me a completely different opportunity. A job as a sales engineer, instead of writing software all the time, I go and help salespeople sell software, doing demos, explaining technology and things. I never thought about it. I didn't really think I wanted to do it. But honestly, the compensation they offered was so attractive, I talked to my manager, he said, you'd be crazy not to go and try this. So I did, and I found out I was actually pretty good at that. And it exposed me to a new side of technology, really deep into the customer's problems and thinking about technology from an end user point of view. But man, you had to hire a whole bunch of engineers. And it's not because you were solving new problems, it's just because the technology was hard. There was a playbook for how to do this. It was often complicated, but it could be done. And that really, for me, got this idea going of, how can we make this easier? There's got to be a better way. We should let people in these businesses, in these orgs, focus on the hard problems, not the data manipulation. And then I got an opportunity to found a company to do
0: that, and I haven't looked back. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. And here are a few reminders from yours truly and your friends at BAI. First of all, if you haven't done so, subscribe to our daily newsletter. It's free to sign up. And be sure to check out our ever growing archive of podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. You can catch me on LinkedIn. Be sure to connect. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.